Welcome to The Leadership Line, a podcast that covers everyday work issues. From dealing with jerks at work to feeling burnt out, Tammy and Scott's experience, along with their different perspectives, help listeners grow, examine realistic options and alternatives, and identify those actionable solutions to the tough issues we face every day at work. Today, I thought we could switch things up and talk about a current event which is Better.com's firing of over 900 employees on a Zoom call. So for those of you who are unaware, I will link the video in our description. But basically, the CEO of Better.com got onto this mass Zoom call and terminated the employment of over 900 people. So I just want to know, what do you guys think of that? Did he handle it in the best way possible? Could he have done anything different? What do you think? I had a chance to see the video. What's funny is I suspect some people are going to react to what we might say, which is kind of fun. What struck me at first when I read the headline was, what in the H is this guy doing? And then I watched the video and then I think about it and I'm like, okay, how would you get that message out to to? round it to a thousand people, 900 people, whatever the number is to understand why and when, and to make sure the message is clear. And then you have all the other stuff that may be going on. If it's like a merger and acquisition, which I don't think this situation was where you have all the legal stuff that you can and can't say because you put yourself or the company or the deal at a tremendous amount of risk. I don't know how you would disseminate out to all of those people's immediate leader to have the message be succinct and clear. Scott, my very first job. So right out of college, I took a job um, with a startup company and uh, I was that employee that was kind of, you're hearing the rumbles, right? And I was not obviously at 22 high enough in the organization to be very aware of what was actually going on in retrospect, um, right? It was an acquisition. And I remember that all we did as the, the rumors and the rumbles started to talk is that that's all we talked about. I mean, we got nothing done. We were not productive. It's where our focus was. And we were all concerned about me. Right. So here I am, I'm 22 and I'm thinking, you know, am I going to have a paycheck? Am I going to have to look for another job? I didn't have any experience in looking for other jobs, kind of thought I would never find another one because I was lucky, quote unquote, to get this one, all of that stuff. And and by the time I was told and this was a small organization, but it went department by department by department. By the time I was told, I already knew because The first department came out and told people. Second department came out and told people. Third department came out and told people, which means I didn't listen, right? I got my information from other people secondhand by the time that I got around to being told. So that was my first experience of actually, you know, hey, a big, big, big change is going to happen in the organization. Now, fast forward through my career, I've also been the person as a consultant called in to shut down an entire plant, an entire department, an entire division and put the plans together. And I was the person who oftentimes communicated to everyone in a big old room, right? Fast forward to a startup, 
22 locations across the country. We had to downsize and I downsized 11 of them in two days, flying from the East Coast to the West Coast, right? So I've been on all ends of the spectrum, the person receiving it, the person actually doing it and doing it in that personal in in face-to-face, flying across the country as well as in a big room. There's nothing fun about any of this for anyone. And and there's an element, I think, I know, Tammy, I, I, I know you and I have a similar pet peeve. It's, hey, let's go pick on the leader. The leader's doing it wrong. They're an idiot, dumbass, whatever, right? And so we're pointing fingers at the leader. And, and I, I get it. There are leaders that are, are good. I've had them. You might have one right now. Right. The, the thing we have to remember is, how did that leader become a leader and where did they learn? There is no magical school. Yes, you can go get an MBA. Many of you know I have one. That didn't teach me how to be a leader. That taught me how to do marketing and do, you know, T-diagrams and finance and those things. It didn't teach me really how to be a leader. So most leaders are learning by doing or learning based on how they were, they came up. It's actually very much like parenting. Very Learn much from like your me. parents or your spouse's parents or your significant other parents. And, and you try to not make mistakes that you didn't like as a kid. You're doing the same thing as a leader. So it's, it's actually really easy to say, well, they're, they're doing it wrong. And there's a little bit of grace we need to give. And there's also a weight on that person's shoulder. As we started to, to hire employees with our team, the reality was, oh, Okay, it's a little stressful making sure we make, you know, we make enough money to to pay the bills and support our own immediate families. Well, now you have an employee or a group of employees who have families and children that if you don't perform well or you don't ensure the company performs well, you have you are now responsible for all of them. And I think it's it's kind of interesting to say, well, he he did it wrong. When maybe we should back up and say, well, okay, there are a number of things that led up to that point to have to make that decision. Yep. I don't know that we know all of that. I've also not researched that. Versus as an individual, how do I prepare and be change ready? And how do I ensure that I'm performing so that we don't get in that scenario or that if I think it's going to happen, I'm able to transition even in the situation where it's not great news. You know, Scott, I I love the kind of thinking about it for just a minute. And, and I think it's really easy to say, Oh man, you know, how cold can you be, buddy? You know, it's right before the holidays. And to say, you know, uh, this is this is pretty cruel. When you are the person that it's happening to, I think it's really, really easy to point fingers at that company and at that leader. I also want to kind of provide a, di- a different perspective. Um, I've worked with a couple of organizations, even here in, in Iowa, that are family-owned, privately held kind of companies. Um, and I have helped them through two situations where circumstances led to downsizing. 
One of them was in the middle of that mortgage crisis in 2008, right? And a company that had about 200 employees um, lost a big contract. And in losing that very big contract that they had held for many, 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 many years, um, they needed to downsize somewhere between 12 and 14 people. We spent days, hours, pouring over, okay, what could we do? And looked at every circumstance of something other than laying people off first. And once it became clear that there was no way to financially be able to continue to pay people, then made the decision what number of people and then agonized over that group of people and how we were going to tell them how we were going to communicate it. And I have to tell you, I sat in rooms with executives who bawled. I mean, this is not what they wanted. This was the last thing that they, you know, that they wanted to do. And they had tried everything else in that particular case. And when we gather the communication, the one thing that I told those executives is said, you need to be in this room, but you can't cry. And they're like, no, Tammy, I love these people. I know these people. I know the families. It, it's, it hurts. And I said, yeah, but it hurts them more. And so it's not about you. Okay. You have to be the one that stays in neutral. You have to be the one that recognizes that really truthfully, this is impacting them more than it's impacting you. And you have to take that and hold that inside, even if you feel it. And I have to tell you, that's one of the things that I think it is that people don't see the other side of it. It is so hard to communicate this. And as a leader, if you're doing this right, you don't make it about you. It really is about them and helping them go from here to there. How can we help them transition? How can we help them go to the next place that is going to allow them to be successful? And I have to, I have to tell you, I've never been in an organization where there's been a downsizing, where the executive team did not go through that thought pattern, thinking it through, what to say, how to do that and really being thoughtful. And so turn the corner for just a moment and we think about, okay, if you have to make this decision, whether it's a person or a group of people, right? let's just talk about a little checklist or maybe a best practice that we would recommend. I think, okay, obviously you have to communicate with them and, and be empathetic. I, lo- I loved what you said, Tammy. It's, it's not about you as the leader, it's about them. Yeah, and, and it's hard because it's hard. It's, it, they may know it's coming or they may have an inclination or it may hit them like a ton of bricks. And so you have to be prepared for what that looks like. Um, ideally, if you can offboard them with some sort of severance, that, that would be ideal. And Again. even if it's not severance, it is um, something to support them. So it may be that you will have, um, you know, workshops to help people write their resumes, you know, decide what kind of uh, work that they're going to be looking for to practice their um, interviewing skills. So my, my second job, right, I was laid off. And when I was laid off, all of us who were laid off together, we actually went into a room and we had um, three days 
over the course of three weeks that actually gave us some of these skill sets, which I thought was great. And so I love that, that just what is that support structure? Right. I think the other part of that support structure is who is out in the community that you can connect with other businesses that may be looking for people that you can help people transition um, letters of recommendation. Are there, you know, are there upskill things that you can provide? And many don't realize that there's, there's grants and funding and things out there, especially if it's a significant change that there's some funding that you can get to support those individuals in making that, that transition. And if you can do that in a planful way, it may not change the impact to that person, but again, it gives them a softer landing. So a, a great example, Scott, is yes, as an organization, we can do some of that. But even as an individual manager, right? I have people on my staff and I did not want them to go, right? It's not like I'm firing them, that, that this thing happened. I have the opportunity at that point to open up my network and say, hey, you know, Bill, you need to go talk to Jim, right? Call one of my buddies and say, I want you to know uh, Susan is an amazing employee and um, she was laid off today. And I know that you're looking. I mean, you have the opportunity to make those connections. And so even as a leader, when you are laying people off, you have the opportunity to say, how can I help that person in this back door kind of have a conversation to other people I know in my network to make those connections? And even if that person doesn't have a job, they might know somebody else who does. And so become, say, that's part of my responsibility too. My responsibility doesn't end because the paycheck ends. I can actually support this person through this transition simply by making connections for them. And I think the other piece as a leader, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, okay, we're really talking about a situation where we we have to downsize in some way, shape or form. Right. I started to think about what would I do different if it was performance related? So if I have an individual where they're, they're not quite there, it's not the right fit, any number of reasons you, you have to have to separate them from employment. And I think ideally I would do all of those same things. And in both situations, it will be important that as a leader, you're honest with them to say, Hey, you know, I'll write you a letter or I'll be a reference for you in this scenario but I won't be in this scenario because I just, I haven't seen that skill set, So I couldn't in good conscience do that. And I've had those conversations with people that, that I have had the unfortunate experience to have to, to terminate that. Yeah. I'll, I'll be a reference for them, but not in some scenarios or if it's a heck no. I mean, it was, there's been a couple where it was serious. Um, I'm going to be, no, I'm not going to be a reference for you. You know, that piece, Scott, and and to me, that's a little sidetrack on this, but I think it's worth at least talking about. The vast majority of people who don't make it inside of an organization because of performance, they're not bad human beings. 
And it only becomes that they're bad human beings because we've waited too long to have the conversation and we were not able to do a course correction early. And then we get angry with one another and then there's all this emotion. That is on me as the leader, right? That in all honesty, that we didn't have the conversation early enough to keep the relationship intact. So in that space, if they are, if that, whatever they did was not so egregious and there are some egregious things, guys, if, if we have sexual harassment in the workplace, I am not providing a reference. If we have a hostile work environment, I am not providing a reference. If someone steals lies or cheats, I am not providing a reference. Okay. But remember most of the time, that's not why we're terminating people. All right. It is these small behavioral issues or they just couldn't get up to speed fast enough for the organization. And so in that case, I should be able to help them find a place where they could be more successful than my organization. And that is part of what I believe is a leader's responsibility is have that conversation early enough so that we can then help them transition. And, you know, this has happened to even us recently where it's like it didn't work and more than happy to help someone transition, okay? Sometimes the employees, though, they don't even accept that help. They're so angry, they can't get to the place where they can accept the help from the very organization that still would be willing to support them in that. So as you, as you kind of think back about this whole scenario with the better.com that kind of kicked us off, what is important is there's a planning element that you have to do to say, how are we going to communicate it and when? How, then there's the kind of the checklist of things that is, um, I need to then actually have the communication and, and work to stay empathetic. I need to work with them to provide some sort of transition support, whatever that looks like, given, given your scenario. And then that support ideally continues both through the, the transition and after the transition, because what you don't know is what could happen six months from now, a year from now, you know, is there an opportunity to have, to have them back in some, some way, shape or form? Do you know, Scott, I think when we kind of look at that checklist, right, it's like we've tried to do everything we can. This is where we're at. So you have the spot where it's like, okay, how are we going to communicate? Who is it? How are we going to communicate it? When are we going to communicate it? Make sure that there's support. Make sure that our wording and all of that is right. So when we have that conversation, it's as effective as possible without inducing pain and suffering that's unnecessary. I also think there's something that we've forgotten. And it's this piece. You have to go back to the people who are staying. Some of them have survivor's guilt. How come, you know, Bobby's gone and I'm still here? Um, Jack was an amazing employee and he's gone. What about... is this one layoff? Is this two? Is there going to be more coming? What about me? And so this piece is like, yes, there's all the legalities and there's all of this process. And we're not done until we go back to the remaining staff and have the conversation with them. 
in terms of what does the future look like? And if the future is this is the first layoff and we're trying to keep it so that we're not going to have a second one, you need to be honest about that, which means you still might have people jump ship that you don't want to have jump ship. Okay. But you still have a responsibility to be honest. If it is no, we have done this and we're good. Okay. We know that we have another six months or a year. We're fine. Then it's that spot, guys. We made the cut deep, deeper than we wanted, but we did that to make sure that the boat is still going to float. And so we're okay. And here's how we're going to get from here to there. Here's where we're gonna, how we're going to still continue to do work. So I think there's the re-recruiting for staff and all of that. And Scott, I am going to come back to this. What is the right way to communicate it? So the reason this CEO got busted, right? is because he went on Zoom <laughs> and and told 900 people all at the same time and someone recorded it which of course was never his intention all right but someone recorded it and put it out on you know out on YouTube or wherever LinkedIn wherever that piece is and the whole thing went viral so we have to downsize doesn't matter 25 900 what is the right way? When it's a group of people, what's the right way in your opinion? Ideally, I would do it in person. If you can. If you can. Um, if you can't do it in person, then I think what he did, I, I mean, I think when you think about remote, remote workers, how do you get them all together? I can't, I can't get to... I mean, we're, we're in eight states. How right. could I get to eight states in a day? Now, when we're talking, I think scale matters. If you're talking 10 people, that's individual conversations. If you're talking 50 people, okay, that's probably a group. The, the reality is as soon as you go individual, by the time you get to the last person, they will know. Everyone knows. Here's, here's what I usually recommend. And Scott, I know that you and I have not done this together, all right? But I am pretty sure uh, we would be in alignment. I believe that if you have a big group of people, you truly do need to be able to tell those people all at the same time. It is a cohesive message, and it is a message that says, Unfortunately, we are downsizing the organization and you are a group of people that are part of that downsizing, which is exactly what the CEO said. Okay. So I know it's not popular, but you have to be really forthright. And in that spot, this is kind of the information it's telling someone and it's shocking and it hurts. And it's like, holy crap. And they're all in the emotion side of the brain. At that point, I think the most important thing that you can do is say, hey, let me get you to the logic side of the brain, all right? Because that emotion, you know, we can't really help them through that at that time period. They're going to feel that. And that's part of the weight of being in a CEO position is understanding that your decisions got them there, okay? So you need to carry that. With that, I'm still going to move them into the logic. And what I like to do is give them something that they can look at and walk them through what the organization is going to do to support them. So that's why, hey, 
There's a packet. It's in your chat. Go ahead and open that. I want you to see the first page is your letter of of reference. Your second page is, here's how the continued support goes. Third page, here's your financial situation. Your fourth page. And you walk them through, here's the stuff that we're doing for them. All right. And in the end, again, provide that empathy that says, I'm sorry that we are in this spot. I'm sorry that this is the spot that that we have put you in. Please know that as the organization continues, if there's opportunities, each and every one of you are eligible for rehire if you would be willing to come back, because of course we would want you. Please know that your managers are here to support you and each of you will be having conversations with your individual managers to continue to walk through this to make sure that you have the information, the support that you need to help you get from being an employee of this organization to the next organization that will be lucky enough to have you. And then you go to individual department and then individual conversations. It sucks, okay, that you have to do it in a big group, but how in the heck could you do it any other way? And that's the piece that I think sometimes we have to think about is really, if you have a better solution than that, let us know. How have you seen it done even better than that when you have people, a large number of people dispersed over a great number of areas, right? Because the only way we've been able to do it has been if they were all in one location or if I was able to go from one part of the country to the next. But I will tell you, folks in Massachusetts told the folks in California. (laughs) And so even though I flew from one place to the next place to the next place, they knew. So the best way, unfortunately, is probably just like what the CEO did. And that wraps up this week's episode of The Leadership Line. As always, feel free to reach out to us in the emails provided in our podcast description box and check out Scott and Tammy's new book, The Chief Optimization Officer, available on Amazon. That website is also in our description box. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.